0: Please pick up. Please pick up. Hello? Beth, thank goodness you answered. Maddie, what's up? I need some help. I just got in a fender bender. I don't know what to do. Oh, no. Yeah, I was texting and stopped paying attention, and then I rear-ended someone. Oh, hey, well, it's gonna be okay. In fact, I read this verse earlier. Okay, well, what did it say? The Bible says everything happens for a reason. Thanks, Beth. I really appreciate that. Hey, you bet. Glad to help out any way I can. Now let me know if you need anything, okay? Okay. Do you mind texting me that verse real quick? (laughs) You got it, girl. Sweet. I'll talk to you later. Alrighty. Bye, Maddie. I don't know why you told her that, because that's not in here, and I never said it. I want to welcome all of you to North Richmond Hills campus and all of you who are watching online every week. Thank you so much. Uh, the online campus just continues to grow, and I'm delighted that you are joining us. Now, I have something cool to share with everybody. We kind of had an axe moment at uh, Saturday night service. Uh, group came forward because last week I said it's time for some of you to get baptized. And I could tell by a bag they were holding that someone wanted to get baptized. So I said, who wants to get baptized? And they said, the whole family does. So last night we had a whole household come to faith in Christ, the Rodriguezes, And uh, I know you celebrate with me as, uh, do we have that picture, please? Isn't that cool? So I want to say again, if you haven't been baptized, you need to do that. Uh, Because Jesus got baptized and Jesus said, go baptize. And that's two pretty good reasons. And if you're online and you haven't been baptized, you need to do that. And if you don't know where, then write to us and we'll find a church in your area where you can get baptized. Because it's very, very important. Also online, uh, you can't get the handouts I give every week for the sermon. But you can download our church app. And each week, that outline will be on there. It's very easy to find and use and take notes on. So please join us in that as well. As we continue to ask the question, what can we learn about what the Bible says by what the Bible does not say? And I've got a lot of feedback to this series, and almost all of it has been positive. And that's always encouraging. In fact, last week, someone came up to me and said, Rick, I'm loving this so much. I wish you would just preach 20 minutes longer. Now, I've preached a long time, and I don't think anyone has ever told me that. And so I got to thinking, what are some phrases that pastors wish they could hear in church just one time? And I came up with some, like, for example, could we pass the offering plate twice sometimes? I've never heard that. Or, hey, it's our turn to sit on the front pew. Nobody ever says that. How about, I love it when we sing songs I've never heard before. (laughs) Or, we need a big change in our church before people get too comfortable. You don't hear that very often. Or, how about, I'm starting a petition to double your salary. (laughs) See, there are certain phrases most pastors would love to hear one time at church. But there are also some phrases we wouldn't mind if we never heard again. And most of them are said with very good intentions as people try to give comfort to someone who is in a season of pain or suffering. And so someone might say, God must be up to something. God must think a lot of you to test you with this. Or God will never give you more than you can handle. And notice that all of these popular expressions place the culpability for people's struggles and trials solely on God. God has to own up. For his sole responsibility for why you are in such a tough place. And that's often what is behind the phrase you might hear. Now just remember, everything happens for a reason. And the subtle assumption is God has a reason that he's putting you through so much difficulty. And this shows up all the time. Just last weekend, I read it again. So if you're an NFL fan or play fantasy football, you've heard the name of Jordy Nelson. He's an all-pro receiver for the Green Bay Packers. So last weekend, in a meaningless preseason game, he falls down, his knee is hurt, finds out he has torn his ACL, and he is out for the entire season a tremendous blow to the Packers organization. But Clover Quinn, a safety for the Detroit Lions, had an interesting interpretation of this sad event. He told the Detroit Free Press, I hate that Jordy got hurt. But in my belief, it was God that meant for Geordie to get hurt. So if he wouldn't have got hurt today, if he wouldn't have played in this game, if he hadn't practiced anymore, the next time he walked on the field would have been opening day and God would have had him get hurt then. So this is really better because the Packers now have some time to make adjustments in their roster. In other words, God had ordained that the next time Geordie played, he was going to tear up his knee. So in God's kindness, he had it happen three weeks before the season started so that the Packers could have more time to react. Now, what is obviously wrong with that theology? Well, for one thing, God doesn't even like the Green Bay Packers. And it's my job as a pastor to confront false doctrine, okay? In fact. The referees of the game last year between the Cowboys and the Packers, the playoff game, remember that? When they stand before God, the first thing they're going to hear is, Dez caught that ball. So I don't believe that God is in heaven orchestrating when football players tear up their knees. Now, I do believe things happen for a reason. In the sense that God has wired the principle of causality into creation. That's why we have the sciences. Because where there is an effect, you can try to deduce a cause. But you better exercise caution when you start attributing cause to explain every effect. And you wind up giving credit To God. And here's the problem. Because everything does happen for a reason. But the reason isn't always God. Now I think it's wrong not to give God the honor he is due. But I also think it's wrong to give God credit he is not due. And to hold God responsible for something he did not do. So everything happens for a reason. But the reason isn't always God. For example, I could be the reason. Because the Bible says a man is going to reap what he sows. So if you are driving and texting at the same time and you hit another car, God was not the reason you had a wreck. If you party too much and flunk out of school, don't say, well, that was just God's plan. If you eat poorly, drink too much, never exercise, and have a stroke in your 40s, don't point your finger at heaven. Point your finger at the person you look at every morning in the mirror. And the reason I'm so adamant about this is because I cannot tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who are suffering the consequences of self-inflicted wounds. And they're angry at the church or at God. The Bible even references this in Proverbs. It says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness. And then are angry at the Lord. So this is why you need to be careful about how you invest yourself emotionally, relationally, financially, and spiritually. Because you will reap what you sow. And if you're going through a real tough time right now, you could be the reason. Or others Could be the reason. We can be profoundly blessed or wounded by the actions of other people. I remember realizing this in high school. I had a job after school loading trucks. And it had never dawned on me how much I had been blessed by my home until that job. I worked primarily with people who had no understanding of growing up in a house with a mother and a father... That stayed together, that went to church, that had strong values, that worked hard, that paid their bills. Most of my coworkers could not imagine such an environment. And I realized I had tremendous advantages in my life I had taken for granted. And the reality is, other people have a huge impact on our lives, for good or for ill. Somebody lied to you, somebody broke a promise, someone cheated you in business someone didn't keep their marriage vow these things matter it's one reason why the bible is so emphatic about love your neighbor and love even your enemy because you don't want to be the reason something bad came into their life you want to be the reason something good came Because other people have a tremendous influence on our lives. And then, and we just have to talk about this, and I know uh, it's a little strange to some of you. But the Bible says when bad things happen, Satan could be the reason. And I know some people can take this too far. But the reality is, Jesus believed in a real devil. Who did real things in the real world. For example, in one of his parables about the kingdom, he said, there are people who represent righteousness and people who represent unrighteousness together. And the disciples said, well, how did the people who represent unrighteousness get into the same field with the people who represent righteousness? How did the tares get in with the wheat? And Jesus said, an enemy did this. In other words, Jesus believed that just as God is active and is intervening into the affairs of the world, the devil also is active. And sometimes we know it. Paul could say, that thorn I asked God to take away, I know it was an assault of Satan. But sometimes we don't know it. And so in the book of Job, that will talk about it in a moment that righteous man went through extreme suffering and he never knew the devil was the reason and so you need to hear me say spiritual warfare is not the occasional possibility it is the daily Reality for every believer in Jesus. Because the devil is real and does real things in the real world. But I think most of the time, when we go through a hard season, fallenness is the reason. We're all caught in the backwash of Adam's sin. And God didn't just curse Adam for his sin. The whole creation was cursed. And we are all unalterably connected to a creation that is in bondage to decay. The world that is, is not the world that was. And the frustration with the world that is... Is universal. And I mean that literally. The universe is frustrated. Paul helps us here in Romans 8. He says against its will. All creation was subjected to God's curse. Now this is why you have tornadoes. And tsunamis and famines and cancers. The creation is broken. All creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth. Right up to the present time. To paraphrase Elvis, Paul would say there's a whole lot of aching going on. And we're misguided in expecting it to be any other way. It's wrong to be angry and say, well, life's just not fair. Life doesn't promise to be fair. Because this creation is in decay. And the world that is, is not the world God made. Now, I cannot let God totally off the hook. Because even though He may not be the primary reason you're going through what you're dealing with right now, it is true, He's on the throne, and He chose not to intervene and stop it. And so God didn't cause the cancer. But He didn't choose to heal it either. God didn't ordain that that drunk man would get behind the wheel and hit your friend. But God didn't strike him with a heart attack in the parking lot before he ever got in the car. And so one of the things we wrestle with is the intention and the activity and the non-activity of God in a world that is filled with so much evil. But we've got to be careful here. This is where the book of Job helps us. Many think the book of Job is about the problem of suffering. I don't. I think it's about the problem of faith in a world that is full of suffering. Job doesn't answer the question, why do people suffer? Job asks the question, will people trust God when they don't know why they suffer? And the book of Job warns us against an entitlement spirit that thinks God owes us an explanation when bad things happen. And you get to the end of that book and it's pretty clear. God does not have to exercise his sovereignty in a way that makes sense to us. We're the ones in need of justification, not God. And by the way, for what it's worth, my over 30 years of being a pastor has taught me that reason is overrated. Enlightenment is not going to bring you all the relief you think it would. The child in college that finds out his parents are divorcing, do you think that will hurt him less if he knows why? Than the child who finds out his parents are splitting up and doesn't know why. The mother that loses a child. Do you think if she knows why it happened. It will hurt less than if she never understands why. Reason is so overrated. And at some level it can even become idolatrous. Because any time you say, I need this as much or more than God, you're getting in the realm of idolatry. The Bible is asking if we will trust God when there doesn't seem to be a reason. And that kind of trust doesn't come from trying to connect the dots. It comes from connecting our pain to God's heart. We connect what we don't know, what we can't know, what we might never know. To what we absolutely do know about God. And again, Brother Paul helps us. He says we know, not we speculate, not we guess, not we surmise. But we know that in all things, God works not just for his own glory. He works for the good of those who love him. So when you're dealing with a season of suffering and you don't know why. I want to suggest instead of searching for a reason, focus on where God is at work. Paul says God works in all things, not just in good things. And that doesn't mean that God causes all things. It means no thing can cause God to stop working for your good. Because understand, things don't work out for good on their own. Remember, this world is broken. And if anything works out for good, you can know that God was at work. Think about the very first picture of God in the Bible it says the world was empty and formless. The Hebrew words are tohu. And Bohu. And then God spoke, and good began to show up. Now, somebody needs to come up with a bumper sticker. Tohu Bohu happens. (laughs) Because it still does. And God still speaks, and God still works, and order and design. And beauty and good start to come out of what was chaos. He doesn't cause chaos. He brings good out of it. He brought our salvation out of the most evil act in history. And sometimes we can see God at work. And it helps us cope. Some of you know that early in our marriage, Jamie and I struggled through several years of infertility. And it was really hard. But we could see God at work. At work in the friends and the mentors who gave us counsel and encouragement. At work preparing us to be better parents as we waited. At work in the two precious babies that came into our lives we would have never known. And now cannot imagine not knowing. At work in shaping especially Jamie to be now a wise counselor to young women going through the same pain. And you've had the same experience and you can look in a tragedy and you can see almost immediately God was at work. And it helped you cope. But. But. There are those times where you can't see God. And you just have to struggle to believe he's still at work. Some of you have seen the Sistine Chapel. It took Michelangelo over five years to paint it. And in the process, early on, he received a lot of criticism of people who said, we don't understand what you're trying to do. And he said, in the first place, I'm not obligated to tell you my vision. In the second place, if I tried to explain it, you still wouldn't be able to understand it. I need you to support me and help me. And when it is complete, then you'll understand. And 500 years later, we still realize he was right. Trusting God doesn't mean it's wrong to groan. It's wrong to gripe, but sometimes you just need to groan. Decay stinks. And God gives us permission to acknowledge the stinkiness of life. Faith doesn't mean pretending that bad things are really good things. Faith means trusting that a good God will work for our good today. And he will make all things right someday. Because God hasn't promised immunity. God has promised eternity. So again, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For in this hope, we were saved. Christians aren't different because we don't have trials. Because Tohu Bohu doesn't come into our lives. We're not different because our problems are smaller. We're different because our hope is bigger. And hope gives us a strength and an endurance that reasons never could. Because, you see, we do have a reason. A reason Why hope can trump the mystery and the pain. There's a reason why we believe evil will not have the last word. There is a reason why we can trust God in all things. Even when we can't see what he's doing. There is a reason why we don't grieve like those who have no hope what's the reason here's the reason Jesus Christ has conquered death. Amen. God in Christ came to us God in Christ became like us. God in Christ has experienced evil with us. He went to a cross and he died for us. He took our sins away from us and then he left us. The grave to show us that when God works, God wins. And one empty tomb trumps a whole head full of reasons. Peter put it like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as long as that tomb is empty, I've got a reason to keep going. Dr. Diane Comp is a pediatric oncologist. Now just think about that a moment. She spends... Her days helping the smallest of children fight cancer. And she confessed she was not a person of faith. But in her book, A Window to Heaven, she describes her journey to becoming a believer. And what prompted it was watching how people going through the worst hell imaginable could cope. And she says a turning point was going into a room. And there's a little boy about three years old battling leukemia. His mother beside his bed. And on the table is a book. Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ relevant today? And Dr. Comp asked the mother. What do you think? And she looked at her little boy laboring to breathe. And then turned to Dr. Comp, and with inexplicable peace and strength, she said, I know it's relevant. So when you cannot see what God is doing, you hold on to what you know He has already done. And to what he has promised. He will do. And so the next time God gives you the privilege. To walk beside somebody in great pain. Please don't feel like you have to say anything. Maybe just your presence is enough. But if you do speak. Don't feel like you need to analyze all the reasons. And please don't minimize the hurt. But point to the work of God in Christ Jesus. And emphasize the hope. Now, some people think, and they may be right that when we get to heaven we're finally going to have all the why's answered and everything is going to make sense maybe but here's what i think that when we get our first glimpse of the beautiful powerful kind face of Jesus, why won't matter anymore? John Ortberg, in his wonderful book, "Soul Keeping," describes what Dallas Willard taught him about being a disciple. Dallas Willard was one of the great Christians of our generation who influenced many of us. And two years ago he passed away. And his friend Gary was right there with Dallas as he was passing away. He was in great suffering. But he said in the last moments Dallas began to have a conversation. And it wasn't with Gary. And Gary told John, I don't know what he was seeing. But his last words were, thank you. Thank you. And then he died. And when you finally see Jesus, you are going to have a good reason to say the same thing. I want to, uh, I want to pray over you because I know for some of you right now this is good to hear, but it's hard. To hear, So let me ask God to bless your hearing. Father, life is hard. And we want to believe and see what you're doing and how you're working. But we also want to be a witness of faith when we can't see. So please help us. This world needs a witness God. It needs a witness of a people that. Live with strength and grace. And beauty. Even when they don't have all the reasons and the answers. Help us to be that people. Give us right now through your Holy Spirit a reminder that the tomb is empty that the death has been defeated that Jesus is coming again there will be no more pain there will be no more crying there will be no more suffering He will make it all right and when we can't see anything else Help us to see Jesus for His sake. Amen. Could I ask you all to stand? Upstairs and downstairs, if you're one of our prayer leaders, would you take your place? We're going to offer you the gift of prayer. We'll cry with you. We'll hold you and hug you. We'll counsel you. We'll help you get baptized. We'll do whatever God's tugging on your heart to do today for Jesus' sake as we worship the one that we will see soon.